0: Praise God for the chance to get to worship together, to lift up His name, to gather around Scripture. I just want to say thank you. Thank you to this excellent group of elders. I've enjoyed getting to visit with them in person and over the phone over these many months. And the search committee. Wow, these folks ask hard questions. What what an amazing group. It's been fun to get to know them and and many of you uh, over these last several months. And I just want to say thank you, especially to all of you believers who've been praying during this process. Praying for who God would lead you to. And I encourage you to continue in those prayers going forward. I also want to welcome visitors. Do we have any visitors today? Yes, yes, that's good. I'm a visitor as well. Uh, My family's looking for a church home. Uh, We can speak well of this group, but uh, we're still checking them out a little bit. So we'll swap some notes a little bit later. If you wouldn't mind, would you stand for the reading of our passage today from 1 John? Beloved, let us love one another because love comes from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent His Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us this much, we also ought to love one another. No one's ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and His love is perfected in us. Let's pray. God, we thank You for being such a good God. And we ask that You'll open up our eyes and our ears and our heart this morning. And I pray as Paul prayed, that this message, this teaching today would come not in simple words, but in power, with full conviction, and with the Holy Spirit. Through Jesus, who lives and reigns with you, and the Holy Spirit is one God, now and forever. Amen. Please go ahead and, and be seated. First words seem so important. An interview weekend with an interview sermon now that's a lot of pressure all the conversations we've had all weekend and now here i'm supposed to preach before you and i'm not even talking about pressure from you oh my goodness no not you not the elders i'm talking about my family (laughs) so two weeks ago uh, the kids nathan and lizzie our teenagers a senior and a freshman and donna they're saying this is getting real this is real Have you started working on your sermon yet? I said, Well, no, I I haven't written it yet. They said, What? Get to work on that. That's our whole life. (laughs) And I thought, Well, this is really encouraging. I looked at Donna. I said, They're in. They're in for this, which is no small thing for the whole family to be in. Can you tell that we like you? Can you tell that we're in on this journey? First words, though, there's a lot of pressure there. Um, and let me tell you what these first words are going to be about. They're, this is not going to be an interview sermon. You are not getting a rehashed sermon that I've preached in the past. You're not getting my best sermon. You're just getting a sermon, okay? This is just a sermon. But here's how I want you to imagine it Imagine that this is our only chance to talk, that we just have this conversation. What are the first and last words that I would offer? So that's that's what I want you to be thinking about. These are my last words first. When it comes to first impressions, we don't really have the best opportunity to manage that. We can't always control how people perceive us. And I'll give you an example of that. I preached for uh, eight years in North Dallas in Denton at the Singing Oaks Church. And when we were called to move our ministry to Abilene, Texas, we were in need of lots and lots of boxes. And uh, I I love books. I have lots of books. I I love the smell of books. I I like books a lot. And when it comes to moving books, there's a particular kind of box that works for books. You want a sturdy box, but not one that's too big, because then you can't handle the weight of the box, right? Right? So don't tell anyone, but the best kind of boxes are liquor store boxes. (laughs) That's right, they're sturdy, they're made to carry heavy liquids, they sometimes have handles on them, and they're free! (laughs) So, late in our packing extravaganza, we're running out of boxes like you do, and I head off to get some more boxes (laughs) to the liquor store. Liquor store was closed, so, you know, not to be thwarted, I go around back of the liquor store. No boxes in sight, but in the dumpster, I could see lots of boxes. And the door was kind of slightly open, and I look around and I think, I already look homeless. (laughs) I'm already in my grungy clothes, so I just slide the door open and I climb in to the liquor store trash bin and I am throwing out boxes. Just one after the other. Trying to be quick about it. Someone says, excuse me? Yes. Would you like to buy a ring? Would, well, would I like to buy a ring? Now, I don't know what about me standing in a dumpster on trash, throwing boxes out, made this woman think, you know, he might be looking for a ring. He might want to buy this ring. But I stopped. And I leaned out of the dumpster and I visited with her for a while and I looked at the ring and I said, yes, it's nice. I don't have any money. And I realized, you know, I don't even have my driver's license. I'm just trying to get boxes to move. And she smiled, turned and went the other way. She didn't look any more dejected than any mall clerk selling you perfume. And I went even more quickly back to my boxes. I'm throwing them out. And then... And this time I kind of jumped, because it's a knock at my dumpster door, and (laughs) I'm wondering if we, like, forwarded our mail to this dumpster. So I go back to the window, and I lean out. It's another person. It's a different person. It's a man. And he says, do you have any money or any food? And I said, well, I don't have any money. I don't have any food. I'm just trying to get some boxes, but I'll tell you what I do have. I am a preacher, believe it or not. And let me tell you about my church. We have this food pantry. We have these ministries. I gave him the name and the address of the church. I gave him my phone number. Mind you, I am standing in a dumpster. And it was striking to me because I realized that so often my pulpit is like this. It's in the protected confines of a church where it's safe. But I had traded that pulpit or a cardboard king of the mountain moment <laughs> to visit with these people in the dumpster. And you just can't control how you come across. So, if you're given just a few minutes to share with someone something very important to you about who God is, what would you say? What would you offer to them? My grandmother asked me a question uh, in March of this year, a question that still is hanging with me. And it's a question that I'd heard my grandfather ask as well. They both were asking it. And it's not an uncommon question for someone who, she had turned 90 in October, he turned 92 in December. But it is a question that I've heard a 13-year-old musician ask. I've heard a 33-year-old, a single person ask. Even though this is the kind of question that comes late in life. As things transpired this year, my grandfather, Grandpa Corky, passed away in March of this year. And that's when my grandmother posed this question. She said, why am I still here? You know, I I think back to my grandfather's death, and I, I don't remember the last words or even the first words that he said Do you do this whenever someone dear to you is gone? You you think back to those final exchanges, those most meaningful conversations. I can't remember. It was probably something like, thank you for coming to see me. This is what he would always do. Uh, We're so proud of you. Come and stay longer next time. We love you. And I'm pretty sure it was probably something along those lines. But I don't remember. Because what I remember is the middle, all that living in the middle, when Grandpa Corky would call me his number one grandson, because I was his first born grandson, and his only grandson, which was a great thing. For like 12 years, I got to be the number one grandson until my cousin was born, Cousin Jimmy. And then I just became the first grandson, which is still pretty good. But that's what I remember about Grandpa, that stuff in the middle why am I still here? Whenever you're, you've gone to your 70th high school reunion and all of your classmates are gone, whenever all of your younger friends are passing away, it's pretty common to ask, why am I still here? It's, it's common for a high school senior to ask, why am I still here in this school? We ask ourselves of this when we're at a party that gets a little slow. Why why am I still here? Or we're in a relationship for too long and we think, why am I still here? Or in a job or in a town. This is a common thing that we might ask. And it's a question of identity. As I think about what FIRST or other churches do to market themselves, we don't often hang out in this realm. Of first and last words. We don't often tell folks about what happened to the apostles. Now, a lot of us were involved in VBS last week, great VBS. Um, But we did not talk at VBS about how those people died, because the apostles died some terrible deaths, right? Do you remember some of these? Paul, beheaded in Rome, Peter, crucified in Rome upside down at his own request. Andrew, crucified in Greece. Matthias, stabbed in Ethiopia. James, stoned, maybe clubbed. I don't know if it really matters. Terrible way to die. Matthias burned. Now, we we, we don't want to talk about those things. That's not how we would market a church. You don't lead with that in a conversation. So why am I going there? Well, there was an apostle who died of natural causes. He lived a very long life. He was one of the apostles that was closest to Jesus, the beloved apostle, John. He was even the one that Jesus turned to when he was dying and said, would you take care of mom for me? So as I've thought about my grandmother's question, John has come to the forefront of my mind, of this one who lived so long, and I wondered what that was like for him, Did it get lonely to be the final apostle when everyone else had been killed and martyred and scattered across the globe prior to email, prior to Instagram, spread out without any word? I wondered if it was lonely. And I imagine that it pretty well was lonely. A lot of those martyrs were celebrated and I hope they will not take offense at me to say in some ways when you're martyred, that's it. You go on to your reward and it's over. But John stayed behind, still in terror, still in fear of being killed, but living this long legacy in this life. Why was that? Well, I've been thinking that maybe John was preserved for something special, that maybe there was something about his personality, about the way his heart absorbed the life of Jesus. The way he meditated on the teachings of Jesus, where God needed a particular personality to last for the decade after decade after decade of following Jesus and give witness to not just the teachings, but what it meant to live like Jesus. It makes sense to me because some personalities are like Peter and they blow up like a 4th of July grand finale fireworks display. Amazing, breathtaking. Oh, did you see that? see that? But when it's over, and it's over pretty quick, there's smoke, and there's memory, and maybe you have some blurry pictures that you cannot tell are fireworks at all because they can't quite capture it. Some personalities are like that, and they're needed. But there are other personalities that might be like John, who are like good firewood, where in the evening you can cook your meal over that fire, And yet, keep warm all night long through the embers of that fire. I think that John is that kind of person. Let's look at these words from 1 John 4 again Beloved, let us love one another because love is of God. This is John's trademark. We see it in the Gospel that bears His name. We see it on the pages of this epistle repeatedly. We hear about it in church tradition about how John embodied love. And so before I tell you what I want to offer you today, and that is this, a very simple expression of Christianity. of What's in my mind in these first and last words, let's dig into this text and see what it has to say. I'm, I'm surfacing three things here. First off, is that love originates from God. God is the source of love. It comes from God. It's the source even of what our human action is to be. God is love, and out of that character, we're able to see the emergence of love. And you know, we're not talking about romantic love. This is not Hollywood love. This is not Erotic love that's bound by desire or bent towards satisfaction of the self where I use or want someone and use them for myself. That's not this kind of love. The kind of love that we're talking about is to will and to want what's good for another. To want what is good for another person. That's a higher level of love. Well, love... Love that originates from God tells us something about God's character. That's first. Second, God's love is prior to all other loves. Sounds like the same thing, but it's a little different. God's love precedes, it goes before any other love. Everything else is responsive language and responsive love. God's love enables us to be able to love others. The best example that I can think of this is a parent for a child. That parent's love is something that the child may not even know. And it's a long, long time before that child can reciprocate or reject the love that they've been given or not given by the parent. But either way, whatever the status of that parental love, it comes before the child is able to reciprocate it. So here in John... We're given this identity of being beloved, where God first loves us. Third, so God is the origin of love. God's love is prior to our own love. And God's love sets the agenda, the form of Christian life. So this is our duty, for us to show mutual love to one another. It's our responsibility. It's the way that we show other people that God is dwelling in us, that that hits a little closer to home for me. Because when we think about loving our enemies and loving our opponents or loving our neighbors that are near to us or loving our persecutors, that's harder. It's harder to love a persecutor that wants to destroy me. It's harder to love a neighbor that dislikes me. It's hard for me to love an opponent that is constantly disagreeing with me. So even though we might not like these people, even though we may reject some of their actions, this higher level of God's love calls us to want what is best for that person. Our identity as beloved children of God is how we actually show love. We manifest it out of that identity. So if we're going to claim to be a child, if we're going to claim that we know God, then we must manifest that in our own lives. The summary of all of this for John is Jesus. Right? The perfect manifestation of God's love is a God that's willing to die at our hands. For God so loved the whole world that He gave His only begotten Son Whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. If you're looking at 1 John 4, it sounds very similar. 1 John 4 says it this way. God's love was revealed among us in this way, that God sent His only Son into the world that we might live through Him. So our life comes through Jesus Christ. This is our gospel story, right? This is the one that we are in the middle of. One of the problems that I find whenever we talk about the gospel is a lot of our focus is on a response to the gospel. So do you believe the gospel? Have you obeyed the gospel? Are you following the commands of God? And without doing it, there's no problem with following the commands of God. All of these things are good, But the problem that can come is that our focus is on our response. And folks, that part is not the good news. What we do in response to God's love, that's not good news. The good news is what God does for us that we cannot do for ourselves. God's initial and primary love for us. That is beautiful. That's amazing. That we're placed in this story of gentleness and grace and called God's beloved children. A relationship that's established by God and maintained by God. Thank God that He does this. So if you look at this passage, the very first word in verse 7 is for me the key word because it comes first. Beloved. That's our identity. That's who we are. Okay, deep breath. We kind of dove off the deep end there for a while. John sounds simple, and then you start spinning in his words, and you're like, whoa, this is profound. So we've got to dial it back. We've got to come back to my real purpose, my primary intention. What if you and I were alone for just a short period of time, What I want to impress upon your soul? So let's imagine a plane ride. When it comes to plane rides... I'm concerned about one thing. Not just the safety of the plane. It's going to be fine. Who am I sitting by? Who am I sitting by? Are they going to be talkative? You know, Are they going to be asking me questions? Like, oh, you're a minister. Well, I've got a question for you. Have they taken a bath in the last week or so? Not real picky, but a week would be nice. What about... um, the consumption of bean burritos in the last 24 hours. <laughs> How many? You get, you get the picture here. Or, or what? What, have, what object have they brought on the plane with them? What is their carry-on? Is it a small frenetic puppy? Is it a watermelon? True story from a family member. I'm not going into it. Is it a small child whose ADD medicine was swapped for Mountain Dew? (laughs) Who is this that I'm sitting by? Okay, you get the idea. We just have this plane ride together and it's very short. What am I going to say to you? And here is what I want to leave you with. God made you. God made you. You had nothing to do with it. The people that came together to meet you to make you may not still be together, they may not like one another, but you came into being. You did not make yourself. You know, what? in the same way, it's not too much of a stretch of the imagination to, to say, okay, well yeah, I didn't make myself. I agree. It's not such a big leap to say that there might be the possibility of a God who created us. And today I want you to hear that God made you, regardless of what you might think about who that God is or whether or not you believe that fact. Two, God loves you. God loves you dearly. God has called you His beloved. As you are, not cleaned up like today, not spit and polished, no bean burritoed like you are today, I hope. But as you are, knowing your weaknesses, knowing your flaws, knowing the things that you've done and that you've failed to do, God deeply loves you. There's no greater truth for you than that. Third, not only did God make you, not only does God love you, but God wants to live in you, to dwell in you. Think about that. God's not content to be a distant, far off creator. God is not just one who's going to write you love notes from afar saying, you're wonderful, you're special. God wants to come alongside you, come in you, and live your life with you. Dwelling with you, going into partnership with you. That is an amazing gift, an amazing relationship that God invites you into out of His great grace in His great mercy. And it's transformative. Because when you come into the presence of God, you cannot remain the same. I'm still leaning into this identity. Fully knowing what it is to be beloved of God can be a transformative thing. So those are the three things that I would say. I, I don't always say them out loud to someone. Sometimes I can get too caught up in what I need to say or communicate or project Sometimes I have to be silent and just be present and show them that they're beloved because I'm listening to them. Non-defensive, just present with them. Have you noticed how even this little story, God made you, God loves you, God lives in you, it points to the very nature of God? That God is a creator. That God has manifested His love in Jesus And that God has promised not to abandon us by dwelling in us through the Holy Spirit. When I think about my grandma, who's asking the question now, like many of us ask, why am I still here? My answer to her was to tell her about John. To tell her about this apostle that lived a long life. To tell her that you were made to express the love of God. That's what you're about. You may do that imperfectly, but you are an expression of the love of God out in this world. I thank God for John. That he remained. That he dwelled. That he abided. You know, there's a story about John, and this is how we'll close, that's in church tradition. So you don't find it in Scripture. And we can't verify whether or not it's true. But it sure sounds like John. As John got older and older, I'm sure Jesus' mother had long since died. He got to where he could barely walk, where he was very old and decrepit. And the believers would carry the Apostle John to church. That's an amazing portrait for me. To be old and yet still I'm going to be carried into the presence of other believers, into the worship of God. Well, he would whisper something to everyone he met. Same line over and over again. Dear children, love one another. Little children, love one another. Wow. Even in his death, even in late in his life, this man is expressing the very life and livelihood of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. When we wonder why we're here, When we wonder what our purpose is or what our identity is, please know. Hear my last words, my first words to you God made you. God loves you. And God wants to live in you. And let that be an identity that takes over every ounce of your being and every minute of your schedule. Let's pray. Oh God, you are a good God. And in a dry and weary land where there is no water, our soul thirsts for You. We need to hear You say that we are Your beloved. We need to be called to higher living. And so we ask You to help us to believe this. That we're beloved of You. That we are made in Your image. We are loved by You. And that we are indwelled by You. Through Jesus we pray. Amen. there's the way when the walls are closing when I look at the space between where I used to be.